This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6am on Monday, the 9th of May, 2022. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Philip C and Wong Xiaoning. Welcome back, Shaz. After your long Raya break, we missed you. Indeed. But we noticed an absence of cookies, so you're on the blacklist <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> we don't want cookies. We want keto cookies. Keto Wait. cookies. Okay. Yeah, healthy, healthy. We want healthy cookies, Shawnee. I don't know what that would involve, uh, Philip. I feel like I should just give you a bowl of salad. Maybe that would... would okay, that, no, would that I don't want a salad. Does do- is dodo keto? Dodo is all sugar. I don't... Well, it could be keto. <laughs> so oh. Definitely not Meringues, keto. meringues, then. Just give me a meringues no, anytime. No, I'm, I'm happy with some dodo. I haven't had dodo in ages, actually. All right. I, I have taken these wishes. And I mushroom will make, rendang. I will make them my command, <laughs> except for the mushroom rendang. I'm sorry. I won't go that far. Um, in any case, uh, it's good to be back. It's very yeah. nice to have everyone back, uh, to be to see everyone again. And I hope that all those of you who are like me and have are coming back to the office today after a week-long holiday, uh, that we're going in raring to go. Uh, it's the start of another work month. It was a very short week last week. So I wonder if people will have withdrawal symptoms coming back. To office For today. sure, especially those getting up now, they're like, "Oh, I have to go to work." My goodness. Well, hopefully, hopefully, you pep them up a bit, right, before they go to office. We certainly will try. And can I just give a big shout out to all the mothers out there who celebrated Mother's Day yesterday? I hope you were all made special and uh, that you felt like queens, um, which you are every day, but especially on the first uh, Sunday of May. Um, happy Mother's Day to all uh, moms out there. Uh, in the meantime, let's take a look at, uh, at what we have lined up this morning. We have tons of really interesting discussions, starting with seven. 15, where we're going to discuss workplace bullying in the healthcare sector with clinical psychologist Dr. Chua Suk Ning. This is on the back of the tragic uh, story of the uh, houseman in Penang who reportedly committed suicide. Yeah, and then at 7.30, we check the pulse of the Southeast Asian tourism and travel industry as restrictions ease across the region with analysis from Hannah Pearson of Pierre Anderson, a tourism consultancy. Then at 7.45, we reflect on the lessons we should be learning from the Serba dynamic controversy with independent writer P. Gunasegaran. By the way, it's listing, relisting yes. today. So let's watch this fireworks at 9am to see how the share price does. Absolutely. We're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run. You're going to want to keep it here, BFM 89.9. That was Blondie with Rapture talking about how we're all feeling about going back to the <laughs> office this Monday morning, 9th of May, 6.08 in the morning. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. We're The Morning Run. We're taking you all the way up to 10 a.m. today. Now, one of the most difficult conversations in the workplace is telling your boss that you're resigning. So this morning, we're looking at this article from the Harvard Business Review on tips to facilitate that process. Wait, who chose this article? I chose that. Are you trying to tell me something, Philip? No, I'm not trying to tell you anything. I'm just trying to leverage on my experiences because I have resigned many times. <laughs> so you're a quitter by nature. I'm a quitter by nature. Okay. I'm a snowflake by nature. So, um, And I think when I was reading this article, it did resonate with me because I've reflected on my many times when I've tendered my resignation. And yes, there have been so many responses you get from the boss, right? So oh, tell many. us your funniest one. Let's start with that before we get into this seriousness of the article. Okay, well, firstly, like, I told one boss who was very close to me and he was like, ah, it's a bad idea, you shouldn't. You can stay, you know, you'll be, you do a lot more. And he was like, 
You know, he was tus tusking me the whole time. There were sound effects. Yeah, there was plenty of sound effects. But of course, we ended up, of course, amicably. I always end on a high note in all my times when I resign. I think that's a very key mm. trait to do. And for me, one of the lessons I've learned and comparing myself now as a boss versus when I wasn't a boss last time. In the past, you would always have a direct relationship with the boss and say, can I, let's have a discussion in the room. Mm. Now I just get emails. You mean they just send you an email? They just send an email and say, hey, I'd like to resign. And then after that, the conversation happens. Whereas it's the other way around in the past, where you would have the conversation first, and then the email will follow up as per our conversation. Like the it's like the formality, right? The email, actually, if you ask me. Yes. The, the, email, was a, the email in the past was a formality. Yes. But what happens quite a lot now is that people send the email, and then after that, have the conversation. Why do you think that's the case? Why has that changed I think this is the concern about what is the response the boss will, what kind of response the boss might have. So perhaps people feel that if you send a note or email first, you cushion the blow or you get the boss to think a bit more carefully before they have the conversation. Interesting. So like, don't shoot the messenger since it's via email. You know, you have had advance notice and then we'll get to the discussion yes. or to the harder discussion yeah. of how things are going to Or go do down. you think that because the way we communicate has changed so much that they don't really see the necessity to have that conversation because everything is done via email remotely, right? WhatsApps, all that has become very acceptable ways of communicating. Yes. Especially it, we all like work from home and so the last two years, it makes it even seem more sensible that, to do it that or could acceptable. Be, that could be the case, but for me, resonation is quite a big deal. Yeah, it is. It's a it very is. big it's deal. Very it's like big a breakup, deal. right? For the breakup. It's like, do you, do you have a breakup with a tweet or even a WhatsApp message? Well, if you're Elon Musk, I'm sure you've done it many times. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. But there's always a better way to resign, right? I mean, there's no one right way, but there are better ways to do it and a better way to communicate. But this article is basically telling us how what, what we can expect from the bosses. Yeah. Okay, um, Philip, you and I, we've been bosses, right? So I'm sure we're all guilty of one of the five, if not all of the five combined into one. Well, let's just go through the five, right? One is if the boss gets angry, that's number one. Number two, they badmouth other opportunities or criticize your aspirations and dreams. Number three, which is the worst, if they make threats. Number four, they try and shame or guilt trip you. And number five, I think that's what I think many of us have experienced the mm. counter offer. Yeah, why are you going? I can do a better deal. Yeah, I can offer you much better or I'll mm. even like raise your salary now, which is happening quite often these days. Yeah, because we are facing this great resonation and there are, there is a, a labour shortage out there, especially if you've got a particular skill set that a lot of other companies want. Uh, so you're fortunate when they counter offer. That means also indicative that they do like you. Um, they do think that you have something to offer to the company and there's room for growth. So take that positively. That's always the best if they counter offer you. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, right, like what we were saying, have that conversation with your boss. And I, when I think about resignation, right, number one, never burn your bridges, both mm. sides, whether you're the boss or whether the, you are the employee, right? It can always be done in a gracious manner. So 110%. I 110% agree to that. Because Unless, of course, they did something horrible to you. But assuming everything was hunky-dory, yeah. you know, there was no office, like something that was done, you know, that was horrendous. I think, yeah. Number one, don't burn your bridges. Well, I mean, that's why if the boss is angry, is gets angry at you or basically makes threats or even tries to shame or guilt trip mm. you, in my view, that validates the resignation. Yeah. It's a it's a pu it's a push factor. It's a push factor. It, it, it just confirms the right thing you just dis decide on. Mm. So there's actually no really bad decision if you decide to resign. Unless, of course, there's a good conversation that leads up 
to, you know, how can we make the situation better or improve your opportunities in the organization or such? Yeah, I think the other thing also is uh, from the boss's perspective, be gracious. I think that's the number one thing, right? Make the transition as smooth as possible. And the reason why you want to do this is sometimes because you've got to think about the people that are staying behind, right? Not so much for the person that's leaving. You know, happy for him. He's going on to greener pastures. He's got better opportunities. But for those that are picking up the pieces and staying behind, the transition needs to be smooth. You also want to make sure that the mood of the existing team is there. So what's the point of being antagonistic to the person that is leaving? Really, what does that reflect to you about the organisation? Absolutely. And time your resignation. Choose when you hand over the letter <laughs> because there are some people whose timing really, really sucks. And that puts the boss in a bad mood. So don't do that either. I guess try to minimise any negative fallout where you can. Tell us what you think. You know, Have you had uh, any interesting resignation incidents or maybe you've heard some epic resignation stories, you can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll come back after some messages to discuss the future of remote working. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Weezer with The World Has Turned and Left Me Here. It does feel like that sometimes, especially on a Monday, but hey, we're here for you. We're The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. Now, the Journal podcast by the Wall Street Journal is a favorite within the Morning Run team, and they featured an interesting interview with Brian Chesky, CEO of Airbnb, a few weeks ago. Phil, tell us why this interview um, caught your attention. Well, well, Brian Chesky, as you know, the CEO of Airbnb, has basically announced that they're allowing their staff to work anywhere they want. And that, I think, is a huge shift from what we see happening all around the world as people return back to office. They basically made it a policy now where they enable people to work wherever they want. I think we need to put some caveats on that, right? Because it, yeah. is, it is only for 90 days of the year, but for 90 days, that's three months, um, employees can choose to work anywhere that they want to work. So the idea is that um, it is going against the grain of what's happening at the moment where other offices are asking their employees to come back. Airbnb is going that, hey, you, you guys can work anywhere. Yeah, but there are certain um, interesting uh, angles to this story, one of which is that they're not going to adjust pay. So whatever pay you get uh, is going to stay the same regardless of location because I think a lot of companies were saying, all right, if you want to work from home, we're going to adjust your pay based on location. So why should we pay you? Let's say if previously you were in Manhattan, right? And then now you don't. You decided, I want to be in Florida because the tax base is lower. Then they'll adjust the pay because the cost of living is supposedly lower there. But Airbnb is not doing that. In fact, they're trying to help their, their staff work in certain locations where you might even need a work permit. For example, here in Malaysia, yeah. right? If you work more than a certain number of days, you're supposed to need a work permit. So apparently he's talking to different countries. Hopefully Malaysia is one of those and I hope we respond. We would like some Airbnb employees working here, won't we? Um, in terms of like arranging tax issues, residence issues, I think this is interesting because it requires almost like us to really believe in this borderless world. Yeah, and this is where I think you made a very good point in terms of salary. Because in the past, if you took look to many of the HR agencies here, how do they you know, do salary banding and job sizing. It's always a function of not only the value of your job, but the location of your job, taking into account the cost of living of your location. And if you upend that this whole system and do that, then you shift entirely to the value you bring to the job. You're right, Shaoning. It'd be very interesting to live in Malaysia, but be paid based on, you know, the global work you deliver. 
At the same time, though, I mean, reading, listening to this podcast, it was interesting, but I do wonder whether any other company apart from Airbnb can actually replicate this. Because when you think about it, it's perfectly in line with their business. They are in the business of leasing out homes for long-term stays. So, of course, they'd want to promote this, especially within their workforce. In fact, the workforce might be the ideal place to start in doing that. Yes. But if you're another company, even if you're a tech company or such, I do feel like the bureaucracy angles of it, the whole filing of taxes, the whole how much is your pay scale going to be, those are all real structural issues um, that are challenging for any company to be able to afford true, flexible, remote working conditions. It's fair to say, yes, that this case probably does you know, sit in line with the values and business of Airbnb. It doesn't work even for tech startups. You would think they would be a natural go-to place, but you do expect people to actually meet together and even sit physically together, even for these smaller startups, even more so, isn't it, for them? Yeah, I mean, like Apple and Google. I mean, you're talking about the, the top tech companies, right? Currently, they have this practice of three days in, two days out, or two days in, three days out. It's still a, a hybrid system where people still meet on a weekly basis while actually Airbnb suggesting it on a quarterly basis. Uh, for me, it works for certain companies. Unfortunately, for BFM, it'll never work because we need to be in the studio and remote recordings, remote yeah, interactions. It's not, not ideal. It's not ideal. We tried it before, right? And it doesn't have the same sound. And I also wonder whether remote working, it, it, whether it benefits a certain type of worker as well. I mean, Brian Chesky, he's a single man with a dog. He's allowed to travel. He doesn't he's, have Oh, by roots. the way, he's only worth 10 billion US dollars. <laughs> only, only, only 10 billion. So I guess no problem, you know, just pack up all your stuff, go to another Airbnb and, uh, you know, next week, try another place. There you go. Rich, single, with the dog, easy to move around. It, this <laughs> What's his email, Shaz? This, <laughs> this wouldn't apply to those with families with young children, for example, where stability harder. is is necessary where you want a good place they could go to school for example so the challenge is do you you know do something that's unique to specific individuals I've seen cases actually now in Malaysia where high talent saying look I want to move somewhere like move to Australia Melbourne and as a result bosses have no choice but to allow, allow that flexibility yeah but I know also, one person who's done it exactly that yes but it creates a lot of ire internally in the organisation why do you allow that customization of that policy for that one person so this goes back to my you know the whole thing about how do you retain talent is this part of a is gimmick too strong a word I mean I don't know what is the right word a, a pull factor that employers actually need to consider to attract the right kind of talent and then does this eventually mean that make it difficult because you end up having to have a policy or yes. do you create policy for each specific individual well if you understand now that it's not pay only that matters, it's also flexibility. Mm. I think you're hearing a lot of that 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 byword. Flexibility is a key differentiator in engaging talent. But to what extent, right, can you afford that flexibility? Do you apply that individually or at, or systemat- systematically across the board? I think it's early days yet, right? Hybrid working is here and all these new systems are here for us to kind of figure out. I'm sure interesting conversations are taking place in workplaces across the country and the world. Tell us what you think. You know, could remote working arrangements be a thing for Malaysian companies, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into the 6.30am news bulletin and we'll be back after that to scour the global headlines. Taking you to the news though is status quo with whatever you want. BFM 89.9. That was Shade with Paradise. Shade being one of Wong Xiaoning's favorite artists. She is uber cool. 
I'm she sure with that doctor. tight bun and those really big hoop earrings. Okay, like, roll my eyes. <laughs> it's true. Well, now you Cultural know. Now icon. you know. Yes, one of her favorites. Uh, Wong Xiaoning, Shazana Mokdar, Philip C. We're the morning run, taking you all the way up to 10 a.m. It's 6:39 in the morning right now, and as usual, we're taking a look at what's making headlines around the world. Philip, what's caught your eye this morning? Well, I think for World News, page 16 in the Star, ex-security chief John Lee is now the new Hong Kong leader. So John Lee Ka Chiu has won the Hong Kong special administrative region's chief executive election, becoming the sixth-term chief executive designate after securing 1,416 votes. So he replaces Carrie Lam. Not a surprise. We discussed surprise. he was uh, the front-runner candidate. He was the only candidate, really. <laughs> yeah. So even though he managed to get uh, what nearly 100% of the votes out of 1,500 um members of the committee. Which is only 0, 0.02% of the whole entire Hong Kong population or something like that, that vote in terms of who's going yeah. to be the new leader, right? So, okay. Yeah, I think this is very interesting. He's not popular because he has been, uh, you know, known for his crackdowns on many of these pro-democracy forums. He replaces also a not very popular leader, Carrie Lam, who has also not been able to successfully navigate Hong Kong out of the pandemic. Um, so really, as you said, Shaoning, the democracy element of how they selected this leader is rather dubious. But it's never been about uh, democracy or public popularity, really. It's all about who commands the confidence of the uh, Beijing government, essentially. And Beijing has been very, um, I guess they've been they've thrown their support behind John Lee. Um, they like John Lee because he has been a, a, a proponent of their national security law. And I think what they really want to see is uh, a leader that um, can bring stability to uh, Hong Kong, which has been racked with a lot of protests over the past five years. That's right. I think his slogan is starting a new chapter of Hong Kong together, vowing to bring in result-oriented governance, forge unity and reboot the city's economy. What this will mean for Hong Kong's status as an international financial hub, whether this will resonate with foreign investors, I think remains to be seen. Something that we're going to keep an eye on closely for sure. Yeah, and then another election that, election that happened yesterday, actually, and this is, of course, in New Straits Times, page 28, uh, is the Filipino election. Today, actually. Oh, is it today? It's May the 9th. Oh, it's sorry, starting it's today. today. Filipinos are going to the polls this morning onwards to vote their next president. Who's going to be replacing President Rodrigo Duterte? I think the frontrunner, of course, is Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr., who I don't think many of us need to be reminded whose father, who was his father. Uh, and apparently... Uh, it looks like he's going to be the number one, he's going to be, you know, the, the winner. And I think there's some sections of Filipino society that are in shock because of what uh, Ferdinand Marcos left, what the state Ferdinand Marcos left Philippines in in the 1980s. Ferdinand Marcos was ousted um, as president in 1986. So there was widespread popular revolt against yes. him. And he left a huge, you know, there was clear financial mismanagement. Yeah. There was a lot of corruption. The, the country was almost, I think, bankrupt. And there were a lot of shoes. And a lot of, yeah, yeah. His wife left thousands of shoes behind. And it's, I think, almost shocking to some people that, you know, the son can be uh, renominated, can be nominated and can actually lead the country again. So what happens to his father's uh, mishaps or the sins of the father's? Is that all forgotten? Well, memories are short, aren't they? That's the key issue here. I think the contender here is, although very interesting, is Lenny Robredo, 57. But as you said, shouting the polls show that he has an overwhelming lead. I think yeah. more than 55% versus Lenny Robredo, about 28 29%. 
I mean, is the is the son going to be another dictator like the father? That that some that's questions people are asking. Those are concerns that some people have. Also, the fact is that uh, Bongbong Marcus has uh, tried over the years to, I suppose, rehabilitate the image of his family, and he's been doing it quite successfully, as we can see by the support that he has from the uh, Philippine public. Uh, whether how this translates into his policies is another question, because he hasn't been very clear about his policy direction. He hasn't really been forthcoming. He hasn't wanted to take part in debates. So there's a lack of of clarity in terms of how he's going to take the country forward or whether it'll just regress back. And I think that's what um, international investors, international observers are worried about. Well, it is personality rather than politics. What is also very interesting is the vice pre- uh, presidency running mate, which is uh, Sarah Duterte, is also the daughter of current president Rodrigo Duterte. And she is aligned with Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr., although they were from a different political party. So as you say, right, political family dynasties are quite a big uh, thing in uh, Philippines. Even Lenny Robredo, she's also not per se, per se from a dynasty, although her the, her husband was a former interior secretary, did die in a plane crash. But she's run a very much strong campaign with her pink revolution coming through. So if you actually go to the newspapers and see a lot of people wearing pink everywhere and in, mm. in support of her, but it really looks like it's for Marcos Jr. for him to lose. And I think there's one more election you'd like to cover, right, Shaz? Well, not yet. This is, this, is still, this is still some ways away, but if we take a look at Brazil, we see that former president Luis Inacio Lula da Silva has launched his bid for the presidency once again, he was president back in 2003 to 2010. He was later jailed um, as part of an anti-corruption investigation, although this was then, um, I think uh, he was jailed and then he was released after the Supreme Court ruled there were procedural irregularities in the trial. But I thought it was so interesting because he's been convicted of corruption yeah. charges, but he has also been allowed to come back to the political fold in a way. And it really pits him against the current president, um, uh, Javier, Javier Bolsonaro. Javier Bolsonaro. And you're right, both of these people are from different ends of the political spectrum, right? Jair Bolsonaro from the far right and Luis Inácio Lula is from the far left. So really, will we ever be able to find centre ground politicians in these emerging markets? More discussions on this for sure in the coming weeks and months ahead. It's 6.45 in the morning. We're taking a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Stevie Wonder with Higher Ground. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana, Shaoning and Phil. We hope that perked you up this morning as you head into work on the first Monday, 9th of May. Uh, we are turning our attention to what's making headlines in the local newspapers and portals. Phil, what's caught your eye? Yeah, I think across many uh, publications, what you hear a lot is the interview that took place with Foreign Minister Datuk Sri Saifuddin Abdullah, in which he states that Malaysia remains non-aligned to any site in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So he, of course, said that any acts of aggression that threaten the principle of sovereignty and national integrity cannot be condoned. But if there is a sanction, it has to go through the United Nations. And if the resolution is passed by the UN, then as a members of the UN, you have to respect and abide by it. So he's quite clear in his stance that Malaysia will remain impartial in this conflict. It will not have a stand or say about this. And he would rather get through the United Nations to pass the resolution on that. Well, let's find out what the EU thinks about this because later on at 8am, I'm going to have the breakfast grill with mm. the ambassador, uh, the EU ambassador to Malaysia, His Excellency uh, Mikhailis Rokas, because of course the EU has come out very hard uh, in its position towards this war in Ukraine. 
And I wonder what he thinks of us now. In addition to that, isn't there going to be a trip coming through in the US coming That's soon? That's right. If we look at next week, uh, Prime Minister Dr. Sri Ismail Sabri Yaakob will lead the Malaysian delegation to the ASEAN-US Special Summit in Washington, D.C. So this is somewhat of a long time coming. This has been talked about for a while. The US yeah. wants to show that it's uh, back uh, in the region, that it's uh, that is focusing its attention on Southeast Asia and the Asia-Pacific. So this is part of efforts to do that. Uh, apparently, we're going to be bringing quite a big delegation because We'll have the Trade Minister, Datuk Sri Muhammad Azmin Ali, as well as the Human Resources Minister, All Datuk doing Sri work, I hope. M. Saravanan, also accompanying mm. the Prime Minister, talking about the various issues between our two countries. And there are very many issues to discuss. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll all be very busy doing as much work as possible. Uh, but I, I, want, I want to turn our attention to the Edge Weekly and, of course, you know, the column, Frankly Speaking. Um, in particular, the headline that says, I'm turning desperately to the page, which says uh, something about jail sentences. <laughs> and it says why a jail sentence is important. And it references, of course, the Singapore case against So Chi Wen, who has been found guilty of stock manipulation. He's been impounded since 2014. He's also been, of course, in police detention since end 2016 because prosecutors had described him as a flight risk. Well, now he's been found guilty after many, many years. And I think the edge is saying that jail sentences are a very important deterrent and Isn't a it? signal from markets that if you do the crime, you pay the time. Because Sochi Wan, he was convicted back in the early 2000s, no, for, for fraud. And he was just imposed a fine. And look, a few years later, he's back, you know, doing something else. So it just goes to show that how, what kind of penalties are deterrence? Uh, may, perhaps it needs to be a, a harsher mm. one. Shining, do you think there are any parallels to other cases? I wonder, mm. I wonder whether we should also be sending out the right signals when it comes to custodial sentences, right? That mm. that uh, capital market crimes are serious. Makes me think. Yeah, makes me think too. Uh, meanwhile, very quickly, 5G talks stall again, and I think that's on the frankly speaking column, but at what cost? And I think we mentioned this on air before. Uh, is there going to be another delay now? Well, this was the point that I think only TM as YTL have signed up to the agreement so far. Mm. It's really the same situation as it was three, four months ago. So really following the cabinet decision with all this re- proposed restructuring with equity stake, nothing has moved. Yeah, so single, double, whatever, and wholesale network, nothing seems to be moving, whatever you call it. Now, very quickly, Grab said to be eyeing stake in MBank. This is according to, of course, the Edge Weekly. Um, because as we know, MBank, ANZ, uh, has been rumoured to be selling their 21.68% stake. Tan Sri Asman Hashim holds 11.83% stake, also might be willing to sell. So the speculation that MBank and RHB are possibly revisiting a merger proposal, but the headline is the one that's catching my eye, which is Grab said to be eyeing stake. I mean, three things caught my eye. Firstly, we have a new chairmanship there. Tan Sri Muhammad No Yusuf became the chairman of MBank. Secondly, Grab has been on this buying spree, right? Buying all these uh, brick and mortar outlets. You have uh, Jaya Grocer and such. So this is also a very interesting twist for an e-commerce platform. And thirdly, they just want a digital banking license. So how does that align with this whole pursuit and strategy? Yeah, and whether it's really true, I mean, or whether Bank Nagara will approve this, uh, every M&A in the banking sector needs their, their green light to even begin the conversation. I think on this point, there have been no confirmations on either side. This is still speculation, but interesting nonetheless, for all the reasons that you pointed out just now, Phil. It is 6.56 in the morning. We're going to head into the 7 a.m. news bulletin, and then after that, we'll check out how global markets closed last week. Taking you to the news now is This Time Tomorrow, 
by the Kinks. We're going to find out who the president of the Philippines is. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.